Mid-morning of October the 19th, 1993, three people entered a fifth-floor apartment in Hamilton Heights, Harlem, New York. The former tenant of five years wouldn't mind. A famous drag queen, they had died in hospital on the 29th of August, and she had left the contents of the apartment to her friend to dispose of. The friend knew the apartment was stuffed with bolts of fabric, sequins, feathers and flashy gowns, and the other two people with her were buyers, hoping to find something suitable to wear for Halloween. They found a large garment bag stuffed at the bottom of a wardrobe, and it was folded in such a way that the zip could not be reached, and whatever was in the bag was too heavy and too awkward to move. Grabbing a pair of scissors, the bag was opened. A very distinct and recognisable smell was immediately released. The police were called. They managed to remove the bag and cut through the multiple layers of wrapping to reveal the partially mummified remains of a man clad in tattered boxer shorts with a bullet hole to the head. What unfolded is a mystery that has spawned magazine articles and a play, along with many theories, but it is unlikely that the file will ever be officially marked as solved. This is the murder of Robert Bobby Worley, and this is Murder Me on Monday. Hello and welcome to the Murder Me Monday podcast. I'm Cameron, joined with me is mother. Hello. So normally we dive into the case. Cameron hates it, but a couple of minutes of waffle this week on our six-month anniversary, episode 26. So when we started this journey, I said I didn't want to do the big name cases. They've been done, done to death, as it were. And what can we add that others haven't done? To do them even a semblance of justice, they usually have to be a series, which we don't have the resources for, or multiple part episodes. We still don't really want to do adverts. We don't think it's worth worth losing listeners over but if we do go the patreon route as a starter i do have a particular case in mind that could be a short series i think as it's filled with what the hell moments and it's not generally well known one except in mainland europe so there'll be a lot of google translate used as my french is schoolgirl rusty so i wanted to make the cases that we covered in our podcast about the victims but in cases there are sometimes multiple victims the perpetrator's name is the only one everybody ever remembers, which is not good, but it's understandable. But I should have realised when one of our lovely listeners found us by searching their relative's name, my lack of thought on the impact of SEO or search engine optimization was poor. By me probably being too good or too smart for my own good people are not always finding us because I haven't always put the murderer's name out there to start. So I'm looking to change that going forward, I think. As you may have realised, I go for the lesser known cases or ones that I find odd, primarily so I can get a, a what the hell or a major glare over the mics out of Cameron on a weekly basis. And as by now you've picked up and he probably knows very little about true crime. The one and only time he chose a case that I didn't know, he got more than he bargained for. So some of the smaller cases are really interesting, but there's not an awful lot of information out there. Or sometimes they get scooped up with another case, which is what we found happened a couple of times. But that confuses the heck out of Cameron as well. I'm really bad with names yeah. and following. So the big cases, um, I've learned that from researching, it seems that I'm actually quite good at pulling out the strange details or the minor stuff. Or well, Cameron comes up with thoughts and ideas of ideas where I can run with something that perhaps hasn't been thought of. And it gets lost usually in a bigger case. And the smaller odd things are just stuff that other people don't dig into. So we are going to do a big name case in a couple of weeks as a trial sort of thing. 
lots of research needed. Um, the case I've got in mind, there's hundreds and hundreds of documents to go through, but I'm hoping again to tease something out, those odd things, and make it interesting and perhaps give a different perspective. If we can pull something weird out of it, I imagine it should be fine. Yeah, I, I think it'd be quite interesting. Now, dear listener, if you read the show notes, you may have noticed a change in recent weeks. It's not me doing the write-up anymore. Karen, Cameron is left to give his particular twist on the case that we've covered. I just end up chatting shit in the, in the show notes bit. In the description, I just, I just chat shit in there, basically. Well, I don't normally read that until it's actually gone live and there's been a few facepalm moments, I've got to admit. It's because you said to me you don't know if people read them, but every podcast that I watch or listen to, I always check the description because I want to know either who they've got on or what they're talking about, so I just... I just assume that people check them, so that's why I start chatting shit in the description. Well, I, I, I find it funny. Well, some of them have made me laugh, but some of them have, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I, I read them too as well. But from, from what I've had, the little feedback that I've had, um, people don't seem to read them. But there you go. Now, we really want to grow the podcast and would really love it if you would give us feedback. What you like or what you hate, what you want more of or less. Hopefully you lovely new listeners who have downloaded the last 25 episodes or have stuck with us on this journey from day one have realised that we have tried to get better. The first ones were shit. I didn't know how to edit. I was doing... Oh, I know they say that when you go back and look at the stuff you've made, you tend to cringe. And it's only been six months. But you can, I, I mean, I can see that there's been a change. I mean, excluding the sound setup alone and how we do things, having two mics, a proper mixer, blah, blah, blah. Oh, it makes me cringe when I go back and listen to it. <laughs> it really bugs me. If I'm listening to a podcast, I'm in the shower or something, and it ends, it naturally rolls over into one I haven't listened to, and it's one that we've done. Oh. And then suddenly it's you and I talking. I'm like, oh, fuck. And I sort of jump out, <laughs> jump out the shower and turn it off because I don't want to hear myself talking whilst I'm in the shower. It's weird. Yeah. Well, I think my nerves have gotten better. I'm not, I'm not as bad as I was. I still get nervous. I can't help it, but that, that's it. So that's the waffle done. Now, back to this week's episode. Straight off the bat, I don't like whodunits. They drive me round the bend. The John Bonet Ramses, the Black Dahlia, the Zodiac Killer, or even the missing ones like Madeline McCann, Little Ben Needham, and even Maura Murray, which goes back to the big name cases. I knew quite a few of those. Yeah. I, I, oh, I say I knew, I knew of them. Yeah, but th- th- those cases drive me scatty. I need closure. So why this case? Well, it's your fault, Cameron. I found it when I went looking for last week's case. I'd never heard... I know heard... it's not Pride Month anymore, but then this is loosely attached to that. Because it, it, ideally we would have done one, probably probably done two in the same month, but it doesn't matter. Who cares, right? Yeah. But I, I, I say, I found it when I went looking for last week's case. Last week's case was, I think, was a better fit. But this one, I'd, I'd never heard of it. And the two, is it's very probably the who, and maybe even the why is a given... But it's a world I knew nothing about, except at a really general level. And it was fascinating to do the research. I ended up re- watching some very strange YouTube videos. So... It's not as bad as weird furry porn, isn't it? Well, it could have ended up in that if I hadn't have been careful. You could have done. Yeah. Um, there seems to be a lot of the usual myths and legends that have sprung up around this one. Not least because so many of the people involved are long dead. So it's impossible to refute or verify. Lots of people refused to talk at the time, which again... It was 50 years ago. Yeah. So when this sort of happened, they would have been in their 30s, wouldn't they, by that point? So yeah. getting on. Yeah. Well, well, some of them were a lot older than that. So, yeah. And as well, the press pretty much ignored it. And I think we can all work out why um, for the time. So hands up. I've done an odd one again. 
and I've probably got things I can't answer your questions on, but nevertheless, I think it's, I still think it's a case worth covering. So let's start with the victim. Back to the police and the find in that apartment in Harlem in 1993. So peeling through multiple layers, first the bag, bag's fabric, then taped a wrapping of what was something likely called norgahide, a type of faux leather common in the 1970s in the USA, and plastic wrapping along with what was described as a chemical soup of body fluids. Now, testing revealed the use of baking powder, which was probably to try and neutralise the smell, I'm thinking. But because it was wrapped up, there was nowhere for any of it to go, and it just sort of fermented and... Putrefied. Yes, and slopped around, yeah. So the detectives revealed this partially mummified body. If I'd said slopped around, you would have said, ooh. Yeah. If I yeah. said you pick up the bag and you shosh it, you'd have gone, Ugh. but when you say it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, they found this partially mummified body um, in the fetal position. It had blue and white striped boxer shorts, which were tattered, and a bullet hole in the back of the head. I'm surprised the boxer shorts survived if they've been wrapped up for that many years. Yeah. Apparently, there was also, as well, half a t shirt sleeve. Where the rest of the t shirt was, I don't know, but yeah. So, encased within the layers that they peeled away from the mummy, the detective noticed what had been described as detachable pull tabs from beer cans, whose use in the, 19, in the United States ranged from the 1960s to the 1970s. So, tangent time. I was, what the hell are pull tabs? So, my first foray took me into bottle tops that everyone of a certain age in the UK will remember. Grosch bottles. Other brands are available. And people actually wore them on the laces of their trainers. And working as bar stuff back in the days, those damn things broke nails so badly. I used to just hand the bottle over to the person who ordered it. You wouldn't be allowed to do that now. But I just used to give them the bottle and say, you open it. Because mm. you'd break, either break your, finger, your thumbnails off or you'd bruise your thumb so badly you'd struggle for half an hour. Now, the type we see on cans now... I didn't realise it was so long ago, but the stay tab opening me- mechanism was actually int- introduced in the mid 1980s in the UK, and somewhere in the 1970s in Do the USA. Just want to describe what it is, because you've asked me this question before earlier on in the week, so I kind of know what the context you're talking about. But I don't think anyone else will know what the fuck you're talking about if they're not already old themselves. You haven't actually said what it is. Yeah. So when you open a can now, it's just you, a normal tab. You you lift up the thing and it and it pushes down the 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 the, the, the teardrop into the, the can. Into the can and it falls and back you, around. Yeah, and yeah. You, you're left with it. That's called the stay tab. And I, again, I remember the old ones, so I didn't know when these things were introduced. Did they just sort of came about gradually over a period of time? The other ones were a pain in the ass for sure. Um, they were a ring that was sat in the middle of the lid and then you had the teardrop attached to it. And what you used to have to do was lift this ring up and pull it back towards you and it would catch the, the, the pointed end of the teardrop and come with it. And then you'd have to crack it off. I vaguely remember like dog tins or like condensed milk tins being like that. Yes. So instead of you having to depress the, the yep. top of the can inside it you have to rip it open almost almost yeah. like a packet but obviously it's a mo- top of a metal tin yeah i vaguely i vaguely remember that actually i think it's just stuff like condensed milk they've still got that now we have to, you have to rip the top of the tin open instead some some things are still in that form i think they're much thicker the yeah. metal that's used on them but they were a pain the rings often broke off so you were left with a can with no way of opening the drink 
and it either resulted in a mess when you inevitably stabbed it with something sharp with blood everywhere when you slipped and slashed your finger or if they did work you were sort of left with this thing spinning on your finger or wondering what to do with it you couldn't put it in your pocket because they were curled up and sharp and inevitably they actually became a real litter problem even now not a month ago I was digging in the garden and one of these things popped up when I was actually turning the soil over so the stay tab is an improvement but these were useful to get a broad end date to the possible death in this case. So the ha- this this reminds me of I think it was Mountain Dew. Someone was like, "Oh my God, I found a mouse in my Mountain Dew. Look, it's in the bottom of it." And Mountain Dew looked at the can. They found out the date that it was made, and they said, "No, Mountain Dew would fully dissolve a rat in three months." <laughs> and that can was made six months ago. So was, I remember so, that. I th- I th- was it Mountain Dew? I think I, it might have been. I think yeah. it was like say Mountain Dew or Pepsi or something. But yeah, like no, <laughs> couldn't happen. I'm pretty sure it was Mountain Dew because I mean that stuff. It, it looks like radio fluid, doesn't it? Was it was originally ma- uh, my friend told me this. It was originally made as a um, a mix for whiskey. Was that's, it? That's what they made it originally. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. Now it's synonymous with gaming. Weirdly, is it? Yeah. They sponsor a lot of people. Anyway, carry on. Right. The police. They've got a rough idea when this body was wrapped, but who was it? So there were some technical problems trying to rehydrate the fingertips. They were still there because the body was only partially mummified. And it wasn't a thing back in the 1990s with the forensic on how to do it. But this guy actually did manage to do it. And the prince actually revealed the body was identified as a Robert, known as Bobby, Worley, born December the 18th, 1938. So one writer that I... I well, it's all in the show notes. They did meet with Bobby's brother. And what I gleaned from that, that he was the youngest of seven children and was raised in Fairmont, Fairmont, North Carolina. Now, this brother, Fred, married and moved to New York City in 1956. And Bobby followed him soon after, but apparently didn't make contact with him. Not unusual, I guess. New York City's a big place. One of seven might not have been particularly close family. Now, Bobby... Um, He'd been arrested for rape and assaulting a woman in 1963 and he served three years in prison being released in August 1966. Where he went after release and what he did, we don't know a lot, except that he'd fathered the child and was now using the surname Wells, not Worley. So in either 1967 or 68, Fred couldn't exactly remember when, Bobby moved in with Fred in the Bronx and he was there for about three months with Fred and his family. Now, they didn't seem to get on. Um, Fred didn't much like Bobby's habits. He was drinking a bottle of vodka a day, but apparently Bobby wouldn't listen to anything. Um, And then it really fell apart. Bobby got involved with Fred's neighbour, a lady who had a seven-year-old son. Now, it's not said if it was romantic, but reading between the lines, it's probable. For whatever reason, Fred didn't actually elaborate, but Bobby ended up assaulting the seven-year-old boy and the boy's mother immediately said she was calling the police. Do we know if it's just an assault or is it a sexual assault? We don't know. And Fred didn't seem to... And the, the I, I mean, it does matter because one's worse than the other, but, I mean, it's like... It, why did they hit a seven-year-old? Yeah, exactly. We, we, we don't know, but the, the inference is there, but the reporter doesn't appear to have pressed the... Rather too much insufficient evidence to yeah formulate a charge we, we we just don't know and i don't think this again i don't think that the reporter pressed the brother too much because i think they were worried the brother was going to shut down and they weren't going to get anything more from them 
and they were really grasping at straws at this point um, to get any information. So, as I said, Bobby took off. Now, Bobby had a record, as I've said, rape and assault, and in the 1960s, I would imagine it was far more difficult to convict than today for rape and assault. So he's now got two incidents of violence against him. Fred did have one other interesting tidbit to add to it. It seems at one point, before vanishing completely, Bobby had rung uh, Fred's telephone landline very late at night. They hadn't had a conversation as such. Bobby was seemingly drunk and he just ranted and Fred just listened. Fred came away with the impression that Bobby was somehow or another involved with a drag queen and they'd had an argument and Bobby was trying to resolve it. It's never explained or said if Fred ever confronted him with what had been said on that call. But what is a little telling is that Fred described his brother as macho and said that he would respond with violence to any given situation. So it wouldn't take much to set him off by the sounds of things. So he probably didn't say anything just in case he ended up on the receiving end of it, maybe. So Bobby disappears. Fred and his family stay at the same house for a number of years, but never hear nor see anything of Bobby ever again until the police arrive to inform him of finding his mummified remains. Adding this pull-tab dating method to the identification of Bobby by his fingerprints and the timeline of his taking off, and his, uh, he was arrested, you know, in case he was arrested for the assault of the seven-year-old, detectives concluded that shooting must have happened somewhere in the preceding 15 to 25 years. Remember, we're in 1993 at this point. So whose apartment was Bobby found in? Born in 1937 to Franklin Legg and Mary Fox Clark, Frederick Legg was raised on a farm in Buffalo, New York State. Unusually for that era, his parents didn't marry until he was actually 10 years old. Now, there's the usual reporting oddity that his mother got divorced when he was eight, remarried and gave him her new baby to raise. Who knows? It was so long ago, it's almost impossible to check. And I think the former probably makes more sense. In the 1950s, Frederick would have been in his 20s. He'd worked as a window dresser at a Buffalo department store. So we have Fred and Frederick. Yeah. Fred, Fred is is the brother going to be mentioned at any other point in this? Or is he out of the story now? Fred the brother. He's 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 out of the story now. Okay, so you've got Frederick and Fred. Sorry. Carry yep, on. yep. Yep. So Frederick, he's in his twenties, he'd worked as a window dresser, but then he moved to New York City to study at the famed Parsons School of Design. He's said to have had a flair for design and dressmaking, all flamboyant styles, and went on to found and run and design dressmaking company called Corey Design. When Frederick changed his name and persona to Dorian Corey, is lost to time, but probably in the late 1950s, early 1960s. She was a drag queen, a female impersonator, and adopted mainly female pronouns, but it was much harder to do back then and probably had to flip-flop between the two. But we're going to stick with she and her from now on. She did go on to have breast implants, and it's said did take female hormones for a while. In the 1960s, Dorian toured as a snake dancer in the Pearl Box Review, which is a cabaret drag act. No, I don't know what type of snake it is before you ask, Cameron. So Dorian was also the founder of what's called the Voguing House of Corey, holding over 50 grand prizes from the voguing balls. At this point in the research, I was, what the actual hell is a voguing ball? So the only vogue I knew was from the magazine and that tracked by Madonna. So... 
Vogue or voguing apparently is a highly stylized modern house dance originating in the 1980s that evolved out of the mainly black gay Harlem ballroom scene of the 1960s. Although I have read its roots actually could be traced back to the 1930s. I thought a Vogue ball was something completely different. I thought it was a sex thing, if I'm honest. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know why I thought it was a sex thing. <laughs> To be fair, it usually is with this podcast. It usually turns out to be some weird sex thing, doesn't it? Or because the perpetrator was a weirdo. Yeah. When we did like two weeks ago, he cut someone's knob off and I thought he ate it. Turns out he didn't. So uh, Vogue balls could have been weird as well. I don't know. Well, yeah, that's why I, I did the research. But yeah, he's just trying to kill me, make me laugh and joke. So apparently it's, it's a way of telling a story. And there are five elements of how to do it. And I've added a link in, in the show notes. What, the, the Vogue dance? Yeah, the Vogue this Vogue ball. ball. Itself. Yeah, the, the, the okay. Vogue dancing. It, it, yeah. Is it more. But the Vogue dance itself, or is the Vogue ball more of like a performance type thing? I'm, 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 I'm asking a question because I don't know. It's both. Um, the, the, this, the, the basics of the voguing it's hands, face, hips, walk, etc. Yeah, I've seen the dance. I think, or, or the, the the style. Anyway, I think I've the seen the style. Yeah, and they yeah. tell a story by doing it. Some of it actually almost looks like break dancing, um, but it's really it's it's quite powerful to actually watch. And I would actually I'd go to a show watching that. So I wonder how many times someone has tried to make a show and take it to the West End or Broadway and couldn't get the backing for it. It, it I, I couldn't see why it wouldn't be a hit. So you've got this Vogue style of dancing. And they, they, they were called balls, but that's a, a slight misnomer. They were events. They were almost like dance-offs. They founded houses. So think schools, think Harry Potter. These, they had these dance-offs. They had house mothers. And these house mothers would lend people little bits of money. They'd give them places to stay if they, they had nowhere to stay. They'd teach them the dance moves. And apparently they made a really good living off throwing these events, like House X against House Y, this Saturday type thing. It was a it was a huge thing, and they, they used to give out big prizes, and there was a lot of money to be made in it. Again, never knew any of this. Why would I? It actually gained this mainstream exposure when it was featured in this Madonna's song and video Vogue, and it was actually showcased in a 1990 documentary, which is called Paris is Burning which Dorian was in. Again, that's linked. Um, it chronicles the ball culture of New York City and the African-American, Latino, gay and transgender communities involved in it. it that film, the, well, the documentary, it won awards too. Now, that film actually led Dorian to appear on the Joan Rivers show in 1991. Seems quite successful, yeah. doesn't she? She's actually performing, and I don't mean performing in the literal sense of being a drag queen, but performing quite well in just... Just being successful with this, they're running this thing here. They're going on television. That they're, they're doing well based off of this. And I'm, yeah, I mean it's it's impressive. Ignore the dead body that's sloshing in the cupboard, but they're doing well from this. Yeah, exactly. Um, but Dorian got older, became less of a draw. The scenes changed. She struggled to make ends meet, and then she developed HIV and finally AIDS, which claimed her life. Which is where we started at the beginning of the episode. I was going to ask about that. Did. Did they know that they were going to die? Or did she know that she was going to die? Yes. Okay. Yeah, they did I know. mean, yes, now I know that she subsequently got AIDS. I was going to ask when you mentioned it. At the time, um, obviously, there was still huge, great stigma. She was telling friends that she, you know, just had a really heavy cold and couldn't shake it and was going to go and get antibiotics. And her friends subsequently ran with that story, said she got pneumonia and died. Mm. You just wouldn't reveal those things. 
So who killed Bobby? Going back in time. Dorian moved at least three times, the final being that apartment in Harlem. Some schools of thought is that Dorian moved the body with her to each apartment. It's possible. There is mention of a diary that Dorian left. Some say it contained a veiled confessions. Others say not. We just don't know as it's not been published. There's also mention in more than one place of a note found with the body of Bobby, which is supposed to say, this poor man broke into my apartment to rob me and I killed him, which is, I think it's really odd phrasing. But again, it's not been published, so... And didn't the brother say that he'd mentioned that he'd moved in with the drag queen? Well, he was involved with, yeah. But their actual involvement is still a little bit murky. I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later. So the article in The New Yorker, which is definitely the best source of information, again, show notes, mentions that the first two de- re- detectives that the reporter spoke to were actually less than helpful, wouldn't almost give anything away, and they contradicted each other on the calibre of the weapon used and all the rest of it. But they said, go and talk to this guy. He, they, they basically just didn't want to get involved with it. And it was actually the fingerprint expert who was also a detective and was assigned to the missing persons bureau that, she, that this reporter spoke to that gave the best, best information. That ring pull from the cans meant the body had had to be in there minimum of 25 years and up to 25 years. The way the body was wrapped didn't say to this detective that it was premeditated in any way. It was the, he said it was sort of grabbing what was at hand, this faux leather from the 1970s that was part of the wrapping. Now, as Dorian was a costume maker and designer, it wouldn't be surprising that this stuff was to hand in her apartment. She'd have, we said she had bolts of fabric lying about. Friends of Dorian all seem to have had a little bit of knowledge about her, but didn't actually really know her. She was good at keeping her life sort of compartmentalised, not revealing everything to a few, just bits and pieces of herself to various people along the way. One friend said that Dorian had had two husbands over the years, but one of the early ones had run off with a lot of money that she'd made from the balls, these, these balls, and it broke her. How did they get married? I'm not sure if... I think it's phraseology. They they weren't legally married, but they, they termed them yeah, as husband. Yeah, okay. Because I, I, I don't think they either... Yeah, yeah. no, they, they termed it as that. But they didn't know when they were shown pictures of Bobby who he was. And they, well, one of them actually said, God, he's ugly. Don't think she would have gone with him. But they didn't seem to know who he was. Another friend who was close to Dorian towards the end of her life asked her if she wanted to contact her, her to contact Dorian's family and um, was met with an emphatic no. Didn't want the, her family to know where she was, what she was doing, that she was ill, that she was in going into a hospice, basically. Now, after Dorian died, this friend went through papers left in the apartment and found letters between Dorian and her mother. And it was revealed that Dorian's mother knew all about her breast implants and probably about her life but her mother never told the rest of the family. There was also a telephone number for Dorian's mother. The phone was answered by Dorian's sister. Now, and that made me wonder if, because I read that a few times, and I'm like, what sister? Where did that come from? And I wondered if that was the new baby that was mentioned that Dorian was given to raise when they were eight years old. <laughs> no. The sister said that they the, fam- they, the family, had been looking for Dorian for 30 years. So it was obvious the mother had never said anything. 
When the friend asked to speak to the mother, apparently she, she was told she was in a home and she wasn't really compass mentis. She probably had dementia by this point. When the sister asked what Dorian died of, the friend told the, the family pneumonia. So, again, we said it's understandable, the stigma of that time. This same friend is quoted as saying that they'd found some very old yellow paper with what appeared to be a story handwritten by Dorian, which mentioned how a man wanted her to have a sex change, something about revenge and how revenge ended up being murder, and mentioned the Pearl Box Review, which I mentioned she starred in in the 1960s, so the timeline would be right. But they'd handed that piece of paper to the police and they couldn't remember it in full. And this reporter couldn't get it back off the police because they were like, hmm, what are we talking about? The really sad final note to this, if it's true, is that Dorian's cremated remains were sent to Buffalo, where her family were still were, but they were never claimed from either the funeral home or the coroner's office and were later disposed of. So possibly in the corner of a gra- graveyard, unmarked, and I would think you'd never know, but you do hear horror stories. And I think that's really sad. And that is all I could find on the case of Dorian Corey. So case or talk super time. Let's go and have a coffee. So where are we? We've got a 56-year-old dead drag queen and a dead body that's mummified in the cupboard that nobody knows how nobody knows how they got there. Nobody can prove it. Did she do it? Probably. As far as I can tell, the bullet hole was in the back of his head. It's almost but not impossible to commit suicide that way. If there was a... You're fucking flexible. I have long arms to do that, though. Well, there have been cases where they have been able to prove it, but it's incredibly rare, and it's for those exact reasons. If there would have been a viable suspect for murder and not suicide, the police would probably have done all the usual angle and trajectory tests, but there was nothing done. If it was suicide, why hide the body? Shame at being disbelieved. If it was self-defence, again, why hide it? I think we could probably guess not being believed. And in the 1960s, 1970s... There's a stigma. A, because of the race and because of her sexual orientation and job of being a drag queen. So they're immediately going to be considered as uh, either seedy or... A, a lot worse than that in those days. I, I, I can't think of the word. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on my vocabulary. But yeah, they're going to be like seen as like seedy or like a weird underbelly or just as a lesser thing, thing. aren't yeah. they? Yeah, But also in that time for a drag queen with implants in prison... It, th- it wouldn't have gone down. It doesn't go down well now, never mind if it was... Yeah, it would yeah. have been absolutely horrendous because she would have been put in male gem pop um, and her, her life would have been absolutely horrific. So I can understand why she wouldn't have done that. Was it revenge or was it self-defence? Now, there's mention by her friends that the area that Dorian lived in was, was dangerous. Uh, Gunfights apparently were commonplace. Um, the person who filmed that Paris is Burning documentary said that when they filmed at her apartment, they often had to stop filming because of the noise of gunfire in the background. So you've got exactly the same problem we've got with ice cream vans. I'd rather have the ice cream van, to be honest. Mr. Whippy popping around the corner rather than a... Gunshots going off, yeah. Rather than a handgun. 
So, again, if it's that bad of an area, it wouldn't be unusual to have a, a gun for self-defence. And the friends mentioned that they thought she did have a small calibre weapon for that exact reason. As we mentioned it before, remember Bobby's brother saying that he was involved with the drag queen back then and how macho he was and aggressive. So could Bobby have attacked Dorian? Absolutely. Would it be revenge for assault? Possibly. Did she move the body with each apartment move? Uh, probably. How? Well, I personally can think of half a dozen different ways. People at the time, there's completely separate views to that. There's some people saying, oh, yes, she must have done. Other people, no, no, couldn't have done. But what else could she do with it? She she didn't have a gardener or a flower border to stuff him in. And if they've been in the body, if they've been in the body, if they've been in this yep. cling film wrap, whatever the fuck, for the past 25 years, and you, you can prove that they've moved house or moved apartments... Within Three that time. times, yeah. Why else is it going to be? She, she didn't move into the apartment and there was a dead body there and think, I'll, I'll stay here. Some people try to actually claim that like, in the storylines. Oh, no, it can possibly be her. It must have been there beforehand. Because it wasn't actually a, a wardrobe. It, it's called a wardrobe in everything. But when you read down into it, it was a very small room that was used as a wardrobe, like a walk-in wardrobe that you see in some buildings, it wasn't just a cupboard. But this this bag, it was a big garment bag. So think of the think of the bags that you have suits wrapped up in or big ball gowns or something like that. And it, 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 it was a big, tough old one. And it was just folded up and tucked away in the corner. And it was only when they were rooting through it. They were actually looking for a gold feathered cape at the time when they, they found this body. This cape apparently was notorious. She used to wear it on, on stage and it was that big. She used to have attendants with poles underneath it and they used to open it out and drape it over the front rows of the audience. It was one of those really... Um, How long is that? That's not, that's not a cape. How long is that? If, yeah. you, if you can drape it over other people. Yeah, it was enormous. So that's what they, and I think they probably thought that that bag was so heavy because it, it must. It, it could have been that. It could have been not, in that. It's, it's yeah. a man. Yeah. Yeah. So it's unsolved because there's no concrete evidence that she did do it. No one's alive that was a witness or anyone that's been given that's given an account of why there was a mummy in the cupboard. So I don't think we're ever going to get that complete final answer for this one. I hate things when there's no tight bit of closure. Because at the end of the day, you've got a 50-odd-year-old drag queen that's got a 25-year-old mummified body in the cupboard. Why is that in the cupboard? Yeah. Like, I'm just trying to think of reasons as to... Not as to reasons why it's going to be in the cupboard, but how you could... If you're moving that, would you move yourself and then take your stuff with you? Or would you use a moving company? If you're doing a movie company, how would you rationalise? Why is there like an 80-kilo bag, probably, shaped like a human in the thing? So unless you're going to put it in like a trunk... And then transport it by car, which would make sense because if you're, like, if you're a drag queen, I guess it comes with the territory of having a lot of shit. Like this fucking feather boa that was like, 18 foot long. I think it was 30 foot wide by 50 foot long or something ridiculous. That's like, a, that's the thing you put like a caravan under, isn't it? That's not yeah. a cape. Yeah, it, it wasn't a cloak. It wasn't, yeah, it was, it was absolutely normal. So she could, again, have said to removal guys, oh, that's that thing, beware, it's really, really heavy, move it for me. And she's wrapped it that good that there is no leakage and there's no smell. So you said that she'd had two husbands yes. by this point. Did they live with her? Did she live with them? Did they know about the body? Did, what have they said about this? Because surely they'd be No, they're all, they've all gone. Nobody's, nobody's been able to... One ran off with all her money, left her destitute, 
and then another one just went as well. The, by the sounds of the timeline, these were after Bobby. And again, who knows what stores you or just don't touch my shit. Leave my shit yeah. alone in well, the corner. I say, don't touch my shit. If you move it, I don't know where it's gone. But I'm, I'm thinking it's because when if she died in her 50s, presumably the people that she would have been involved with would have been around the same age as well. And that's when she would have died, right? Yeah. So this would have happened in her early 20s. Yeah. So this Bobby bloke moved in with her in the early 20s. But or had what, a relationship. We don't well, know where well, they well, live. I don't know. That's making the assumption. I think moving in with her, being a roommate, for whatever, I think that might be more plausible if he's this air quote matcher man but I th- and there's a term for it i think it's called chasers about these people that are like super right-wing people that um try to solicit sex from transgender sex workers even though they're like hate them it's weird there's like a weird subgroup like that that exists online it's really strange i i it, again that's why i don't think he lived with her that's why i don't think his friends her friends knew about bobby because I think Bobby had a real issue with the fact that he was attracted to a drag queen. So uh, do you think that Dorian would have known that Bobby is a sexual offender? Probably not, but probably learnt it. Yeah. And yes, yeah, so I've got written down here about roommates, but you're saying that you don't think they were based on that. You think it's, it could have been... If, if there weren't roommates, it had to have been a sex thing. Yes. Because then it wouldn't have been for a, a relationship because this guy was like opposed to this. Is hella, yes. is hella macho or whatever. Yes. So by this point, they would have been in their... Late 20s? Late 20s. But that point, was she successful? Yes. Already successful and already earning not, probably... Not, no, not massive, mega, but oh, no, on no, the but way I mean, there. I mean, I'm not sure about what the, the living things were yeah. like in Harlem and the expenses and stuff like that. But I imagine buying so many feather bowers would have been expensive. So you needed a good income. But if they're already successful at this point, would, I don't think they would have needed a roommate. No. So that kind of rules that out to me. They were born in the 30s. Mm-hmm. It's a long fucking time ago. This is almost 100 yeah. years ago they were born. Yeah, I know. You also said that the family didn't want the remains. Is that after finding out that there's a dead body in the cupboard? Or is that, do you think it's because of their life choices and they're like opposed to it? Especially oh. then. Because, I mean, it happened, it, they died in the, the 90s, right? Yeah. So do you think the, the climate at the time in that Even area, then, yeah. there would have been like, nah, yeah. and a strange distance? Well, the family were farmers in Buffalo, New York State. The remains were, obviously, it was a thing that um, AIDS patients, when they died, were cremated. So the remains were sent, the cremation remains were sent back to the family. Maybe they were told, and then they were just, hell no, we don't want them. But again, I only found that one place, and I think that's really sad if it was, but I kind of understand it as well. In my head, I'm getting this RuPaul image of this. Before RuPaul, I'm imagining her, because she had these like, big Vogue balls have been in documentaries, have been in movies or whatever, stuff like that. I'm, I'm imagining quite a, a person that's involved in the, the media of it, involved in the, yeah. the, the, the epicenter of this happening. Were there not like fans that would have wanted that? I know fans that want the remains, but at least wouldn't you think that there'd be a place where... Because people growing up around the time might have looked at that and said, oh, they're expressing themselves in the way that I want to. It'd be good if we had a place to go remember them. I'm not thinking like a martyr's grave. I'm not thinking like that. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm, I'm, I, I'm, yeah, I'm surprised a that, memorial. that... Yeah, it's someone like that that people could go to, to... I think if it happened now, that's exactly what would happen. That's what would be done. But I still think in the 90s, it was still considered to, to be a little bit shameful to be a fan of that that event, that type of culture, and you would only be in that lifestyle if you had a specific reason to be, which is unfair because, truthfully, back in the 90s, 
yeah, late 90s, I went along with your sister to a number of events like this. Purely and simply because she was really good at winning competitions. We used to get free tickets. So it's like... When? When did you say? In the late 90s. It couldn't have been in the late 90s. Yeah, when you were little. No, it couldn't have been because I don't know how old she is. It had to have been the mid, no, to, late, right. the mid right. to late noughties. Yeah, you're that right. That would have to have happened because you don't want a fucking child around there, I imagine, because that's a bit inappropriate. Well, she was a, a teenager, but yeah, but there wasn't, there was still, even in, in, yeah, even in that time, so yeah, you're right. So if we go back to 1993, I would think there would still be an awful lot of stigma of being even remotely associated with this lifestyle. Because I know there's, obviously there's a difference between being gay and being trans and being a drag queen, because drag queen is almost these feminine features, like proper cranked up to 11, isn't it? It's these huge, extravagant, way over the top makeup. Oh God, yeah. Fucking every, squirrels. Oh, don't, don't. Yeah, yeah we, we we went to a, we went to a couple of these events. We went to um, a theatre, and I can't remember the name of the bloody theatre. It was off the Euston Road, and it was a beauty competition, and um, they were all transgenders, and it was absolutely fascinating. They were absolutely beautiful, but that's the first time I ever saw burlesque. That again was fascinating, and it was a little bit a case of. She and I were looking at each other a few times. We didn't know whether to put our hands over our eyes or not because it was just a little bit, who, but yeah, there were, and it was good to see the amount of family members supporting the people up on stage. Yeah, because that time would have been a bit different, wouldn't it? People would have evolved. But even, it's like it's like if people tried to criticise my generation, the generation coming after me, it's like, well, who raised them? Yeah. So it's, oh, you want participation trophies, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but who were the parents and the adults that made that in the first place? It wasn't us that dictated we wanted these or whatever. So of her generation, they probably would have disliked yeah. it. And then the generation born after that would have been accepting and understanding that these are still people. That the, the, the children from that would have been the ones that are, oh, this, is, this is okay to be. Yeah, I, I think if Dorian's mother hadn't been in the home... Uh, and probably, as I said, she was described as not being fully compass mentis, but I suspect it was dementia. So if she'd have known that Dorian had died, she probably would have wanted her remains because they'd they'd written to each other throughout the years. There was obviously still that mother-child bond, but for whatever reason, she didn't want her her sister or her brothers and sisters to know. And again, that generational thing, they probably would have been that stigma. That's why they didn't claim the remains. Because when you said that someone had taken all of her money, one of her husbands, and then she's mm. left poor, mm. 56-year-old. If you said that then they'd found a body and they'd been wrapped up and hadn't been there very long, I would have thought you've got a roommate or doing something to earn money from it or to to, no, to, the... to, make, to make costs go down. But when you find out it's, 20, it's like 25 years old, it's clearly for other reasons, and it was a different time in their life, which is why I was surprised when you said that they were already successful in that industry at that time to have needed a roommate so that's where my log- my jump went to yeah your logic jump went, and, yeah. and like you say that the press barely covered this and it's probably because they didn't either want to publicize it that maybe they didn't want to be seen as like um oh look what the these to- communities are up to aren't yeah. they bad so yeah the people thought oh, let's just stay away that from was it exactly the, the, i actually could not find even with vpn i couldn't find any actual news reports it was just this one article that was written in the New Yorker. And God almighty, was that really difficult to read because it was like reading microfiche. So it's like a, a miniature version of the pages of the newspaper. So you're reading in columns and you're trying to go up and down. And then what was that said? So you're going back on yourself. And yeah, I ended up with a headache doing that one. But it, it, I couldn't find any 
I presume at the time there was some minor coverage, really minor coverage. But it, I thought it was a fascinating case. And especially the fact that, as well, he'd been on it, the, the back of the film about this voguing, that he'd then been on the Joan Rivers show. And Joan Rivers was a massive chat show host. I used to watch her. God, that woman was sarcastic. And then she went on to do... Um, that She did a runway show with Kelly Osborne. And she was really... Right, Joan Rivers. Yeah. Or, yeah, it's strange. If you got her unfiltered, that woman, bloody hell, could she... She, she, would, she would have anybody blushing. Joan Rivers didn't have a filter when it was really needed. But when she was on TV, when she did that runway show with Kelly Osborne, and she was... She was a lot of things. She was very Marmite. You either loved her or you hated her. But the fact that Dorian actually ended up on her show, I think, again, was another thing that... We were almost there, but I think because the trend started to change and then she got ill and she probably couldn't work as much and she couldn't do the designing and probably the house mother role and these voguing, voguing balls were probably not as popular as they once were. You know, fashions change. Yeah, it's like disco. That was a, that was a blazing 70s. inferno for a yeah. little while and then disappeared, didn't it? It lasted yeah. for like a couple of years. This one would have been a bit different because obviously it's successful for a long time and these smaller, like it's like smaller communities are willing to pay more for their stuff from that community because there's nowhere else to get it. Yeah, so. but you can still do. You can still. I, I say I I want to go to a voguing ball and I'm going to get your sister on that task, but I doubt very much whether we still have them in the UK. But there does seem to be. There's loads of YouTube videos out there, and it's 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 a, it's a spectacle in a good way. It's fun. It's flamboyant. Um, looks painful because they just sort of hurl themselves about um and that's it folks that's the case of the drag queen and the mummy thank you for listening and we'll see you next week sound like a shit movie title drag queen and the mummy all right you can find us on uh, instagram and twitter made me monday podcast and we'll see you next time much love peace i missed the button where is it <laughs>